It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Wednesday, the 13th of September, and my name is Paul Sickman, and I am joined by Brandon Parks from Rocky Top. Hello, Mr. Parks. Hey, Paul. Football season's underway. Believe it or not, we're two weeks in. It's quite remarkable how quickly it goes, but um, fun time of year for sure. Yeah, you know, and everyone in our world has had a home game now. I think I think most teams around the country have had a home game in the first two weeks, and the pressure valve just gets turned off when you have a, you're just able to launch and you're able to kind of get all your stuff out the door the first time. It's just everything gets easier, and everyone's blood pressure goes down, regardless of how your football team's doing from a sponsorship perspective. Um, the world gets easier after that first home game. Yeah, and and we're no different at Tennessee. We. We had a unique start to the season. We opened up against Virginia in Nashville. Um, and while it was a neutral site game, uh, UT Athletics was responsible for the game site production. So we traveled our entire staff to Nashville. We executed as if it were a home game for us. Um, and, and so you think about all that comes with that playing in a stadium you don't normally play in? How are you going to run your video boards? How are you going to execute the LED ring inside the stadium? What does your pregame fan fest area look like? Uh, in addition to the typical radio broadcast, which we do. Um, so we got through Nashville and then we came home this past weekend, had our first home game against Austin P. Uh, kicked off the season with a uh, lightning delay. <laughs> um, and so the the unfortunate thing for Tennessee fans is is one of the great traditions at Tennessee is our band's pregame march to watch the team run through the tee if you're a fan. And we did not get to do that for game number one. Um, so we went into the lightning delay uh, right out of player warmups. And so the teams went back to the locker rooms. Uh, and then when they came back out, we just started the game. So. Mm -hmm. Um, there's still a bit of that tradition that Tennessee fans will have to wait another 12 days or so before they'll get to experience. But, um, <laughs> but you, you're exactly right. The Monday after the first home game, uh, when, when everything is up and running and the execution has started, you're right. There is a pressure release, um, that's quite remarkable. So we're glad to be here. Um, and to, uh, to be talking about all things college sports today. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Today, we're just going to talk a little bit. Um, I, I thought we'd kind of just kind of go over a couple, three, four topics. We'll see where it takes us. And the first one I want to talk about was this concept that you, we hear a lot about, this concept of a commissioner. I, I know it, it, it'd be hard for anyone right now to not be frustrated with the NCAA in the current state that it is in. It has always been run by presidents. It's always been run by an equal representation of presidents from all kinds of divisions and all kinds of conferences. And it just, it has never felt more outdated. Has it buddy? I mean, it just, it feels like we yeah. have to do something. And, and I, and I'm going to skip ahead to the ultimate reason for me to want a commissioner beyond all the little micro things. We're seeing players getting punished for transfer issues. We're seeing schools getting slapped and coaches getting suspended in the old way they used to. But for me, the big thing is you look at what the NFL and the all the leagues, not just the NFL, but every league that kind of shares revenue and what they do from a television perspective, 
and you see the disparity between college and pro sports, and then you look at the ratings, and the ratings, college sports, college football specifically, is second to the NFL, and not even close to what the other leagues are getting from a revenue perspective. If we had a commissioner that said, hey, we're going to represent, it doesn't have to be the top 60, which is what everyone talks about. It could be the top 80, the top 100. You know, or Take your five conferences and negotiate on their behalf, and you create a revenue model Every single school out there would benefit from that. Yeah, and the the big challenge now, certainly with the consolidation of the conferences, is it feels like if if you're in one of those power two or three conferences now, whether it be the SEC, the Big Ten, potentially the Big Twelve, we know what's going on with the Pac-12, um, and we know the what's Pac going four. on for the Pac. <laughs> yeah, the Pac-4, uh, and then you see what what the ACC just announced what seven ten days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like those top two or three conferences are still able to garner significant television rights fees. And in fact, larger television rights fees, but then these other smaller conferences, um, not so much. So it feels like the rich are getting richer and there's, there's, there's this larger gap, uh, outside. If you're not in one of those conferences, it becomes really hard to compete because the re- the TV revenue dollars simply aren't there for you. Uh, which limits your resources, limits your facilities, limits your recruiting in a lot of ways. It's and untenable. I don't think they, they can't compete. They're not going to compete at all. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to fade away, which is ultimately the point because you talked about revenue and you're saying it's a good number. And I, I suppose it is. You're talking about, you know, the, the SEC and the Big Ten will get whatever the number is 65 to $80 million a year. Okay. Based on the next four or five years. And then the next tier of conferences, the ACC, the Big 12, said 30 to 50. Okay. Neighborhood numbers. Well, each NFL team this year is going to get 280. Right. Okay. So, and I know the NFL is a beast. Okay. But that's 30, that's 30 plus teams. Okay. So if you talked about 60 teams or 80 teams that a commissioner would be arguing for the top of the food chain, let's say that you can go to 150 and then the smaller ones get 40 or 50, they can compete then. With that kind of money, they can pay their their Olympic sports coverage and they can do it anyway. It's just, to me, I, that's the one reason outside of all of the ridiculous, silly, capricious nature of the NCAA and how they're slapping schools for small things and play individual players for ridiculous things. Does this, does this force Notre Dame to find their way into a conference? If they had a commissioner, they wouldn't have to because they'd be part of that mix, right? Because they'd be part of the right. TV negotiation. Right. I but mean, they... No, they but they, as a standalone right now, the dollars they're getting from their NBC contract is not competitive to what the SEC schools are getting as part of the SEC ESPN Disney agreement. Well, yes, they're a tweener, which is what what makes it a joke that they can vote in the ACC pool to bring in new schools, right? Yeah, they're I a agree. freaking tweener. They, they get they get more money than every ACC school right now. They get more money. And so, but they're out there saying, okay, we're not part of the football part of you, but oh, by the way, we do want stanford and smu and cal to join the conference no you shouldn't get a vote (laughs) you're not you're not you get you're earning more money right now what do you care but this and this also plays into what we think is going to be the evolution of college football with the expansion of the playoffs and then the ability to potentially host playoff games and in on site on campus and you think about what that's going to do for revenue because you're right, outside the of the ratings. NFL. Holy smokes, the TV ratings for those playoffs. It would be unbelievable. It would be unbelievable. It um, will be unbelievable. 
And, and, and we talked about it before. I mean, the best thing about it is, okay, Tennessee is hosting a home game, okay? And it is December, and you're hosting Michigan, and Michigan people are, are uh, it's 20 degrees below zero in Ann Arbor, and you're hosting an 80-degree day in Tennessee. And that is unbelievable TV, or the reverse is unbelievable TV. Notre Dame, with terrible, stormy, blistery, blustery weather, is hosting Texas. What are the ratings for those playoff games, those first-round oh, playoff games? Off the charts. Off the <laughs> charts. And yeah. so when you talk about what that's going to deliver for college sports, I mean, it's going to make the NCAA tournament, you know – go away in terms of importance well well i'm just saying but i mean the the playoff the college football playoff when those home games come on i'm not sure the bowl games of the final four are gonna do way better or even better than they did before maybe the build-up brings more eyeballs because you've seen this you know crazy team from uh ucla that somehow finds its way they were that they were the the number 12 seed and they beat the five seed then they beat the nine seed and they get to play number one and everyone follows that story and maybe it brings more eyeballs but the first couple rounds are going to be the best thing we've seen on television in years well and i think that goes back to why so many people watch college football certainly during the regular season is the pageantry built around the on-campus experience is untouchable. Right. Where else can you get that kind of passion, energy, fan affinity? And it just, it creates a, a level of what I think would be attention and viewership and enthusiasm that we've probably never seen and actually ramps up the college football game even more. Right, because if you're, it's a playoff game and you're going to have home fans filling their home stadium, getting to see the block T going out of their minds because it's a home game, but it matters so much. And the visiting yeah. team, every the loudest you've ever seen a stadium is going to be nutso when the game matters that much. Right, right. And so then... That's back to part of this original conversation. How do those playoff games get negotiated from a television rights perspective? And is it rolled into how the NCAA currently negotiates the basketball tournament? And ultimately, <clears throat> ultimately what does that look like? And, but I think you're onto something as far as, as there has got to be a commissioner of sorts who, who can pull this thing and band this thing together. I don't think it's healthy for the game of college football to have 40, 50 schools, and then you've got 60 others that have no shot. Well, and that's, that's right, which is why we love the NCAA tournament, which we'll talk about in a second. I mean, but but if college – I mean, people watched Cincinnati when they got into the, the playoff, and they were all with this morbid curiosity of, my God, what if they won, right? And, yeah. I mean, it was – Okay, and and then, but that's what made the tournament. The reason the NCAA tournament is as great as it is, if all if only the NCAA tournament was only open to the Power Four, it would not be that compelling for us because we've all grown up with Cinderella. You know, right. we, we remember when DePaul was undefeated. We remember when when these small schools. I mean, Gonzaga, like the story of Gonzaga. Let's go, right? And that's yeah. what makes the NCAA tournament awesome. And so it, college football has a chance with a 12-team playoff to have that awesomeness, to have a UTSA that goes 12-0, and 0, and they're the 11th seed, and they get yeah. to play the 6th seed, and you've got – and they are going to Ohio State. 
and you're I mean that's great TV if they won that game oh I mean it's but that's what makes the NCAA tournament so great um and and that's why I think again you're we we go back to it I think you've got to have because if we don't give those schools a chance revenue wise if we don't give those schools a chance revenue wise over the next 10 years they will have no chance to be a, a 11 seed right you, well think about Appalachian State for example everyone remembers them going to Ann Arbor and beating Michigan turned around this past year went to Texas A&M and beat Texas A&M right do are they do they go to such a disadvantage that they lose that opportunity to be able to pull upsets like that does right. it take them completely out of the game right i mean that's, it, not, that's not good no it's not good and and so again you go you go back to where we're you know right now and forgive me but the sec the schedule last week was horrific right i mean ut martin and you know mercer and these 73 to 7 scores well that's okay once right and i think it should be done once but a commissioner could also dictate that where you don't have three times a year those mercy killings happen you know but it should if you make it mandated once and that becomes a awesome game right it, because it's only yeah. once um then you have the, maybe you maybe the uh, commissioner says you're going to have nine conference games which gives more tv opportunities because you've got better a, a stronger schedule throughout the course of the year rather than just eight conference games and, and it, there's a bunch of things that you could create some sameness and then the arguments can start to dissipate in terms of the Pac-10 versus the Big Ten and the versus the ACC and the schedule stuff um, because you'd have some sameness and you don't have uh, and you don't have the disparity you have now. Yeah, but also you think about from the perspective of Mercer, you mentioned Mercer. Why does Mercer play that game? They pay, they play that game because there is a payout to play right. that game. It's associated right. with revenue. It, it also highlights your program as bad as the game may be. It's one way for the program to get exposure. And, you know, they count on that um, to, to, to help grow their budget and, and meet the numbers they're trying to reach. Uh, I agree that you probably only need one of those per year. Right. Um, but I mean, Fresno State came to Purdue last week and got a $1.6 million payout to beat them. That's exactly right. And <laughs> and there's stories, but there's stories like that every year that we hear and see. Um, but to that point, does it make it impossible for those stories to exist if the revenue gap becomes so large that they can't be competitive? Right. And so now you can skip ahead five years, eight years, 10 years, and we we all fall in love with the 12-team playoff because of all the reasons we just talked about. And they'll be talking about, hey, let's make it an 18 or a 24 or a 36. Why? The reason that you'd want to expand it that far, because let's let's be honest, it's probably not realistic that the 36th ranked football team is going to win the national championship, is for inclusion. You're, we're always fighting to have the Cinderella story, and that's why we keep wanting to expand it. But you don't need to if there's it, not equity, but less disequity <laughs> you know yeah. i mean that that's and and that's you know going kind of transitioning like we talked about to the ncaa tournament there's all this talk now wanting to make it 90 something why you gotta be kidding me that seems yeah. i mean 68 is freaking plenty we got lots of cinderella stories right now and there are schools that are basketball only i mean that are just basketball centric are dominant and they're doing great in the tournament. And so they are justifying their existence with that way. And they're finding a way with limited resources or limited 
as compared to the, the you know the big conferences to be a huge player in the NCAA. I think we've got enough teams there. Doesn't it feel like that it's the right amount of time and the right amount of games? At, at some point, too much of a good thing is not a good thing, and right. and it loses some of its of its interest, and it almost it's too much. It's and, too much. You know there was a ton of debate around when they expanded it from the 64 teams to where you had the play in games, you know, it might be very interesting to go look at what the TV viewership is on those play in games versus the first round games. Cause I have a, my gut instinct would tell me those play in games viewership is not close to what those first round games are. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, so th- that, that should be something that triggers that says, Hey, maybe we're at the right number right now. Um, Although there's nothing better than a Tuesday night in Dayton. Well, fair. In what, March, when it's, like you said, in Ann Arbor, 20 below, and the wind's blowing. <laughs> I um, mean, that's, that's that's where it's at. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I agree with you, Brandon. I mean, we, we talk, I mean, the NCAA tournament, it's, it's, it, it's the right mix. But one thing that money has changed is you're seeing how the Big Ten and the SEC have jumped with the number of teams they're getting in because the money they have to pay their secondary third or fourth sports, and you see it in baseball, you're seeing it in basketball. The SEC was a two-team, three-team, four-team bid league for years, right? It was Kentucky and three idiots, and and Kentucky would advance. And now you've got the SEC legitimately saying, we've got eight or nine teams that can get in. Yeah. The Big Ten is the same way. They, they, they beat each other up, and then you get to the end of the year, and everyone with a winning record in the Big Ten – is justifiably getting in the NCAA tournament. What does that do? That trickle down is hurting the leagues that are secondly below them, right? I mean, and really slapping it to those bids, those leagues that used to have two, three, four bids, and now they're one bid leagues. That's exactly right. Yeah, you got to win your conference to get in, and that 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 takes away some of those Cinderella stories. Yeah. There, there's probably some teams that finish second in some of those leagues that have a legitimate shot to pull an upset. Exactly. Um, right. The horizon, the, the second place horizon team is, is, is a great story because they only lost two games this year. They lost one in the conference final and one on a, you know, in a November against or late November against Michigan state. And yeah. they, they can't get in the tournament. Yeah. And, you know, but you also have to think about on a, on a larger scale, part of what is unique about college sports versus any professional league is that our schools, our teams, the the fans that love the Tennessee volunteers, it's not just a football season. We transition into basketball season. We transition out of basketball into baseball season. So if your school is having some success, then your fan following really becomes 10 months out of the year. And mm-hmm. we take off July and first part of August and that, that's one of the things that's so unique about college sports is that you can have an affinity across multiple sports versus your NFL team that you're cheering for from pre, preseason in August to hopefully you make the playoffs come December. Um, it's different in college. It, you know, it exists across multiple sports, which, which is obviously a positive. But I think we do have to be cognizant of not expanding each individual sport to the point where too much is not a good thing. Yeah, and, and we're not going to attack realignment in this particular podcast, but I will say that the the offshoot of this realignment money disparity is that it's going that is going to go away. You're you're not going to be able to unless you are in the big two or the big four, 
you're not going to be able to compete in sports outside of the one sport you put money in. If I am a small school athletic director right now, I am making choices and they're hard choices. I am going to make a program that is sustainable. And that program might be baseball. It might be gymnastics. It might be volleyball. Um, And I'm going to say, I'm going to put my revenue, the limited revenue I have behind that, which again, going back to the original argument, if you had a commissioner and you had someone that was able to oversee this and give some revenue equity out there, and I'm not talking about equity. I'm not saying that USF should get the same thing as Michigan. What I'm saying is that USF should be able to get 15 or 20 if Michigan's getting 80. Because then that athletic director at USF can make some choices. And they can say, we're going to be able to go out there and play football. But we're going to have the best men's soccer team in the country. Right. And totally. then and, and that would enable college sports, as we love it, to continue. Because you would know that Dayton is a basketball school and, and they are going to have as much revenue because of the choice they're able to make. They're able to put as much revenue behind their basketball program as Purdue. Yeah. And, and that's where I think we need to go to save college athletics is to have, again, it's not equity, but it allows choice equity within sports. Does that make sense? No, total sense. And, you know, Again, we can we can do a whole podcast on conference realignment, but you think about some of the schools that have joined certain conferences that are going to have to travel cross country every time they compete in all sports. Right. One, how healthy is that for a student athlete? Right. That, that and that's again that's a whole other conversation around conference realignment. But when you when you start thinking about where where are you going to pull your resources, where are you going to pull your assets, what are you going to support that keeps your brand, your school on the map on an annual basis, that may be the route the smaller ones have to go. You know, and, and it's it's sort of Gonzaga. They obviously have positioned themselves as a basketball school and they're benefiting greatly from it. From the time they went from Cinderella to a mainstay in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four. They're almost the the example of of what athletic structures some of these smaller schools may have to make tough decisions. And That's right. And, that path. and and what they're doing is not inexpensive. They're doing an international situation where they're out there paying athletes to be there from Croatia or Lithuania or Russia or and they're saying this is how we're going to compete. We're going to compete with a high dollar amount NIL amount in local, and we're going to go get international students that have the best international program in the country. And you're right, basketball. And if we don't figure it out, it's not we're not far away. If this if this inequity where you're having a small school that gets two million dollars a year or a million dollars a year athletic budget or as we talked about, they have to play at Indiana or they have to play, you know, they have to play at USC to get a payout. And that's about 80 percent of their athletic budget for the year. If that's what the money is, then the NCAA tournament, as we know it in every sport not just is going to be so different that it's not it may not be fun for the people at our age that enjoyed the Cinderella story and i think this and that's really what makes college great it is absolutely what makes college great um it is the Cinderella stories it's it's the passion behind the fan base because they are tied directly to their college they're an alumnus of their college they feel bought in there's equity that's there and and if you can't have a product on the field or on the court that that you can hang your hat on, um, it becomes really difficult to compete at really any level. 
Yeah. Kids, that's our soapbox, and uh, we enjoyed it. It's uh, We uh, hope to get, talk to you guys in a couple of weeks when we are going to probably have a special guest, and we appreciate every single one of you that tunes in to Knox Talk. I am Paul Sickman. He is Brandon Parks. We love all of our listeners, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.